All right, we are back again for Lawyer Talk Off the Record on the air, bringing the podcast Wednesdays together with the Blitz Wednesdays. That means we are interfacing soon with the Blitz for free legal questions answered. That is questions and answers. We're going to do it with Randy and Loper. Uh, we've already touched base with them earlier here, and uh, all all things are a go. We finally good, got good, the good, good. <laughs> we it's got working. it. It's working. We finally <laughs> the technology. We have the technology. Uh, so we got uh, Brett with Circle Two Seventy Media uh, joining in, sitting in the beard spot. Jared's here. The ex checker. Well, you know he's got some other stuff he had to do. Something more important, probably like I don't know, eating breakfast. Eat breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Just couldn't. I just couldn't make he's it. He's going on time. deep in ground. He's going. He's going in. Uh, yeah, he's, he's on special assignment. I forgot about assignment. that. Dang it! I forgot. Yeah. That's I mean, right. I, I, so right. I'm sitting over here at the command center. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I was looking forward. I sent out. I sent out the email or the text message last night that we are going to be taking, um, taking on some of the Shalvin trial today. Sort of, sort of giving everybody a legal breakdown of what they can expect. And not what they can expect, maybe, but what's really going on? Like, what are the issues and what's the, I, and I'll confess, I've not listened to hardly any media, nor have I really watched the testimony. And I did that intentionally. I may do that later this week. I may catch up on all of that stuff. But what I wanted to do was actually read the charges, read some of the legal pleadings, see what the jury instructions are intended to be, and then see who the witnesses are that have been called already, but without sort of listening. And that way I can give it a uh, sort of an independent analysis based on what I would think is going to, what I would do and, and some of the issues. So uh, we're going to have some fun with that after we do some blitz questions. Uh, it looks like we are going to be tuning in with them uh, here now. Dial 821-9970. If you need free legal advice on Loper and Randy, better call Steve. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have Steve Palmer with us, my lawyer, and right now is yours too. What's up, Steve? Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? And uh, Steve, of course, uh, his firm, Yavich and Palmer. You guys can get in touch with them anytime you want. But right now, here on the Blitz, so Randy, let's uh, let's take a phone call. I would love to line it up, Rick. What do we have here? We have uh, Tony, who has a custody question for Steve Palmer. Go ahead, uh, yep. Tony. Uh, okay. Hey, Mr. Palmer. Hey, how you doing? Okay, so um, I have two sons. One is 12, will be 13, July 31st, and the other one is 8, about to turn 9. And uh, I have a pretty extensive background, and I want to know, is there a certain age in Ohio that they can pick and choose who they live with? Because I pretty much know who my 12-year-old wants to live with, but like, I mean, she don't let me see them, talk to them on the phone or anything. Yeah, I mean, the answer to that question is 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 really not as definitive as you might want. I mean, there's an age that when the children reach that, they get a say-so. They get a little bit of input, but it's not uh, definitive. They don't get to just choose uh, what they want. And and I can't remember what it is, whether it's 12 or 14, but it's something like that. And, you know, generally, so the, the issue is this. When will the court actually listen to what the children want? Uh, and when will the court not only listen, but actually follow what the children want? And the answer is uh, the children never have a complete definitive say-so, but neither does anybody else. It's always up to the judge. Now, generally, that is determined uh, by input from uh, a guardian ad litem who is usually a lawyer who's appointed only to represent the interest of the children, uh, as well as all the other attorneys for all the sides. And then uh, if it really gets, if it goes really to 
the lot, so to speak, and you've got to fight the fight, well, then everybody, there's a trial, there's testimony, psychologist, et cetera. But, you know, I would say this, if there is a, if you've got a background, it may not matter. It, the question is what, what's in the children's best interest now? And are you providing a safe, uh, wholesome environment for the kids to live in? And maybe what is the alternative? And, and maybe that's not so good. So uh, like all these situations, we get calls like this every week. I always suggest get a competent domestic relations attorney. This is not an area where you want to go it alone. Uh, and I'd be happy to make referrals if you need it. Okay. And what should be my next step? Your next deck, your next, give me a shout, 614-224-6142. I'll refer you to a good, competent uh, lawyer who can help you with your custody situation. All right, Tony, good luck to you, man. All right, thanks. You guys have a best day. You too. Question for you, Steve. So Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt are engaged in a divorce right now. And this, since 2016. Since 2016. Like, how long can you divorce someone? Before there's like a final, a finalized divorce, man, it just depends on how unreasonable everybody is being. And, you know, I would say, <laughs> okay. you know, it's like, this is a situation where if there's, I hate to blame lawyers, but you know, sometimes the lawyers love to just cause, uh, this kind of fight and controversy. And sometimes the people are just emotional about everything. I mean, divorce is a, a really, really sensitive, personal, emotional process. And, it's easy to get caught up on details that don't matter after you look back on them. And, uh, you know, and then, then you've got the courts. I mean, if the courts are going to tolerate this kind of delay, then, then it'll, it could go on indefinitely. But I would say it just all depends on the jurisdiction. It depends on the court system involved and the judge involved and maybe even the so personalities time out. Just say they don't care to how long they go. Will the judge or the court system be like, you know what, we're going to decide like because they are expecting it or projecting it for six more years and they've already been in it since 2016. Is there a time limit or there's not? Well, I can't say there's a time limit. I would say this, that there is uh, the judge sooner will later, sooner or later will, um, will say, look, you're going to trial on this day, show up and be ready, bring your briefcases, bring your attorneys or don't bring your attorneys. I'm going. And uh, I don't know what the legal oh, wow. limit would be in California, but you know, yeah. sooner or later, the judges just get sick of it, and they're going to just force it. So do they go to, like, a trial, like, where there's a jury and all that, or no? That's just criminal. In Ohio, there is not juries for divorce cases, and I doubt that there is in California. It's usually a judge who decides it, and uh, but it's a full-blown trial. I mean, it's what you would expect. I mean, call your next witness and provide testimony about uh, whether it's the kids or whether it's the money or whether it's uh, the assets, uh, child support, all the stuff that, that you would think about, and they'll just decide all those issues and let the, or present evidence on all the issues and let the judge decide it. All right. Steve Palmer's on answering your legal calls at 821-9970. Of course, the, the Derek Chauvin case is going on right now in Minneapolis. Uh, are you, are you watching that at all, Steve? Yeah. You know, we're going to, uh, we're going to cover that in my podcast here right after we get done. But yeah, I, I did a little bit of a dive into that uh, this morning, catching up on uh, the actual complaint that was filed, some of the pleadings that were filed, and some of the witnesses were called. So it's pretty, uh, pretty fascinating stuff. The nine-year-old was uh, interesting. Like that was really, really powerful. Yeah, you know, it, it's we were just talking about that uh, as well. And it's on the one hand, if you're defending the case, you look at the nine-year-old's testimony about all the trauma and all the emotional uh, stuff that she's had to endure as a result of this, you know, strictly speaking, it's not relevant. You know, it doesn't matter um, as far as the issues at trial. So the question is, for what purpose was that testimony admitted? And uh, did the defense object? Uh, why, what is the prosecutor trying to establish with that? 
and uh, and ultimately, how does it bear on the on the outcome of the case, whether it's admissible or not? It's now in the record, so to speak. So, you know, the defense may be waiting to argue something just like, look, this is a smokescreen, folks. They didn't need to do this. This is only designed to tug at your heartstrings and not bear on the evidence. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. Because it, it specifically does not pertain to whether or not he was choked or kneeled on. Correct. Right. I mean, look, I feel horrible for everybody. Th- this case sucks in so many ways for so many people, but that's not unlike most criminal cases. <laughs> it's like you don't end up in criminal court yeah. in a murder trial if it's a great scenario. And, yeah. you know, it's uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't change what the facts are. And sometimes when prosecutors present this kind of evidence or even when defense attorneys present this kind of evidence, it can backfire because, you know, the argument I'd be making at the end of this is like, what, what are they trying to show you? I mean, like in, instead of talking about this irrelevant emotional trauma, which is horrible. Nobody wanted her to experience that. Why aren't they talking to you about the causation of death? Why aren't they talking to you about what uh, Mr. Chavez's intent was when he engaged in this conduct? Why aren't they talking about the fact that he had a law enforcement privilege of sorts uh, to engage in certain behaviors, even trained to do it? So, you know, there's, uh, it, there's, it could backfire. Some of that stuff does sometimes. What, what's your take on them calling this uh, Donald Williams, uh, a former college wrestler and pro mixed martial arts fighter, to weigh in on the choking situation? Yeah, I, I found that uh, testimony somewhat, I found it interesting. Now, the, the big issue at play here is whether, uh, who should be an expert, who can be an expert, and was the expert testimony admissible? Because experts are allowed to give opinions. Most witnesses cannot. I mean, I can't just go in and say, I think this if I'm not an expert. So based on my expertise, however, and based on this gentleman's expertise, he was able to offer opinions on the kind of chokeholds that, uh, that are available and the kind that were used and, uh, and what happened here. So my take on it is, uh, it was, it, the first question is, it, what, how, what kind of argument was there about whether he should have been permitted to offer that testimony as an expert? In other words, was it really helpful to the jury to hear his expert testimony or was it more prejudicial than not? And then I, I think it ultimately, though, is interesting to hear about blood chokes and air chokes um, and death chokes and, and sort of delineate those out. And I think there's a there's a way to look at that where you could be worried on the defense side because blood choke just sounds like a bloody, horrible thing. On the yeah. other hand, it seems to me that a blood choke is designed not to kill um, and only to, uh, I guess, uh, submit whereas a, an air choke is, is deadly and can, and can kill. And I understand here it was a blood choke that maybe went wrong, maybe not, depending on what the coroner says. So uh, it might be helpful for the defense in the long run. All right, so we do have a question from Phil. Question for Steve. What is the statute of limitations for slander? How does one even begin to figure monetary residuals for emotional damages? Yeah, this is a tricky one. Slander and slander per se, these are... Uh, I, I don't know the statute of limitations. It, it, it may change based on these, the incident or what the allegations are. But slander generally is you're, you're saying bad things about somebody and causing damage. There's a con- is slander usually is most actionable, if at all, in my, uh, in, in my experience, if my, if my recollection is correct, when it involves your professional workplace or your profession generally. So I can't just say that Loper is a horrible... Uh, radio guy. He's got no experience, mm-hmm. no experience, and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he tells lies every day. I mean, if all that what? is false, and I do that <laughs> with the intent to slander you, then then that's actionable. And it's more actionable if it's in your work. Now, there's another issue that comes up, and that's public figures. So public figures are deemed to have less protection generally for such things because they're out. They put themselves intentionally out into the public eye. 
um, or maybe even unintentionally, but they're there. So there, there's a lot of moving parts to this. You know, generally, I would say that slander is a tough one. Um, if, as always, if somebody wants us to take a peek at it, we'll be happy to. 614-224-6142. All right. Another one via text. Hello, CU. I live in a village and they made trash service mandatory for just one company, which is fine, but I've never had a trash service because I take mine to our business. Hmm. Now they say I have to have the trash service, even if I don't normally have one or had one. Can they make me have trash service? Now, uh, hold on. I miss, uh, the front end of this is the Homeowners Association is making her have trash. Yes, and she... Uh, never had trash before because or paid for it because she would just take it to the business or he would take it to the business and now everyone has to pay for it. Yeah, I would have to see what the homeowner's agreement has to say. There's going to be an agreement. There's going to be something in writing that dictates this and then we would assess it from there to determine whether it's 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 enforceable. Um, you know, I guess I would say go to the homeowners meetings and vo- and make your make your voice heard uh, because and there's a lot of this like, you know, I lived in a neighborhood once where there was the homeowner association had agreed to pay for mulching and things like that. But it, I, it was in an area that I never even saw. I mean, I didn't care if there was mulch up there or not. And I didn't think anybody else should care. Uh, it's one of those where there was a vote I lost and I had to pay. Hmm. So, All right. Well, so maybe the issue is the trash company has a contract that says we have to do the whole thing or not at all, or they've negotiated a rate with the trash company that makes it less for everybody if everybody pays. So, I don't know. All right. Steve Palmer, last call for phone calls and uh, text messages. We have a couple on holds and we will come back to them right after this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name's Loper. This is Randy. Hello. And we have our buddy Steve Palmer on the phone right now. And he's answering your legal questions. Steve, here's a non-legal question, but a question for you. What's the name of your podcast? Uh, The name of the podcast, Lawyer Talk. So lawyer talk off the record, but on the air is what we say. Yeah, that's our, uh, that's our podcast. You can catch it at lawyertalkpodcast.com. It's got its own website even. And why can I see you, man? Like, do you have like streaming video now or something? Uh, we are about to engage in a full live stream. You know, we've got the studio we what? built over here at uh, channel 511 and uh, we, we have cameras on every seat in the podcast table. We got folks coming in to use the live stream system and service. Uh, we got a professional video switcher. It's like, we're, we're high tech now guys. Well, I'll tell you what, first one that you go live on camera, why don't, why don't I come over to be on that one? Man, with your face, I think that's a perfect addition to the live stream situation. You know, nice. I, and also, I, I'll wear a mask until I get there. Uh, you're not allowed to have a mask on in my studio, man. That's just it. Mask come off. <laughs> mask off. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, Steve Palmer, you guys can get in touch with him. By, oh, do we have one? We have one. All right, I don't want to leave this person hanging, actually. Hang on, Steve. Okay, well, this one's an intense one, okay? Um, so they say, my husband is an alcoholic, beer for breakfast. Vehicles are uh, separate property. Here's the deal. I have researched and realized that if he drives and hurts someone, I may be sued for my other property, which is a home. Today, I started uh, filing or filling out dissolution papers. I told him to buy his own truck, but then he realized since we're still married, I could still be sued because it was purchased after we were married. So it would be community property. So then I thought of a possible loophole. Please let me know if this would work to protect myself. I have two trucks that are separate property. If I gift one truck to his family member and then they gift it to him, would that be separate property? Well, then would he be liable and my house would be not in jeopardy? I guess I would say this. The first thing you need to do is go file for divorce. If in, unless, unless he's going to agree 
Uh, actually, let me back up. The first thing you do is go get a qualified domestic relations attorney to help you out. And then I would say you probably need to just file for divorce and get court orders in place that separate everything out. Secondly, you're not necessarily, um, it, once that happens, once the separation exists, uh, somebody's not, just because you uh, somebody uses your car, it doesn't necessarily make you liable for what they did because uh, if you didn't know that they took the car, if you didn't know that they were under the influence of alcohol and caused a death or caused harm, then you could become what's called an innocent owner. It's not so obvious just because they're driving somebody else's car that that person is going to be liable. But really, the right. best way to delineate property in this kind of situation is get a court order. Dissolutions are great; they're preferable and they work when everybody agrees. But it's not always it's not always as efficient as it should be. In other words, if he's not going to sign, he's not going to agree, and you're still you have this ongoing concern. Get a court order. Uh, these other workarounds. You know, as long as you're married, you know, he gets sued, it's going to probably impact you too in some way. So I would say get the process moving. Give me a call, 614-224-6142. I'll refer you to a, a good domestic lawyer. Sucks you wouldn't even be like, hey, man, I'll just stop drinking or like, hey, I won't drive. Right. That's yeah. She just doesn't trust him. Maybe he is saying that. And she's like, I don't yeah. trust him still. So I got you. Yeah. I don't know. Here's one more via text. If the company you work for has a data breach and your personal information is released, can you sue the company? Uh, that's a big maybe. So if you could establish it, the first issue is were you allowed to have your personal information stored on whatever company servers there were that were breached? Secondly, if if yes and everybody knew it, can you then sue them for not being uh, not taking prudent measures or reasonably prudent measures to protect the data? And the answer is maybe. I would have to, uh, again, that's a, that's a research-type question. But uh, as with anything, with lawsuits, so you have to have damage. I mean, you can't just sue because you've been wronged. Uh, you you want to sue because you've been wronged, and it cost you something that can be measured in, in dollars and cents or at least in, in, by way of some court order to fix it. So there's, a, there's probably more information that we would need. Happy to look into it. Just uh, give us a shout. All right, my man, Steve Palmer. Check him out. Check out his podcast. You can get it through theblitz.com, and you can get Steve each and every Wednesday right here on the show. Thanks, man. All right, guys, thanks. All right. Another, uh, I mean, that was that was good stuff, man. People got questions. I, uh, Ironically, or maybe not so ironically because it is big news, they, they did have questions about the Chauvin mess. So, you know. It was kind of what I stated on the way in. I said the clips that are being played are going to tug at, at strings of people's hearts. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's you know it's an interesting that the the little girl who had to film it and live with this scenario that I, I guess her trauma was that she didn't do something to prevent it. That was the girl that's eighteen. I don't know. I guess they. Or, I didn't. I didn't hear the nine year old. I, okay, I got you. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if they if they played the the minor. The one girl was seventeen when she recorded it. And now she's 18. Uh, I guess the, maybe they did. I don't know. Are, is a C-SPAN or anybody live broadcasting this trial? Yeah, is it's, it's getting streamed. It I, is getting streamed. Yeah. Somebody's got to be picking it up. Yeah, I have not watched it. I knew um, that there are cameras in there, but there will have none on the on the jury. I this is just things that I've heard. You know, I mean through 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 the media. I have not actually seen anything. I've heard a few uh, of the clips on, yeah. on NPR. Yeah, that's pretty normal where they're not going to make, they, they, they'll let cameras in the courtrooms and constitutionally that the media is allowed to be in there. Uh, and they're going to, uh, they'll just say you're not allowed to film or show the jurors faces um, or identities. And that's yeah, pretty normal stuff. So I think it is getting streamed. I mean, you, somebody who's got the time. So they probably aren't allowed it. to show a video of the minor either, are they? 
maybe, maybe not. I would have to read the court orders. I did review a lot of the filings <clears throat> this morning. I didn't look at that one, but there were filings by the media asking for permission, and there was an order that addressed what that uh, granting permission and what the rules of play would be. I didn't think to look at it, but it probably does say don't uh, show the identity of minors. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just, like, show – like yeah. just the witness box, but not yep. the not the person right. Right. where they'll But the audio out. still goes through? Yeah, the audio still probably go through, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's tragic. The whole mess is tragic. I mean, everything about it is tragic. You, the fact that the, a 9-year-old girl had to witness this, the fact that uh, the 17, 18-year-old teenager, now adult, had to uh, witness it and live with it, et cetera. But, you know, this is why people hate lawyers, I guess. You know, we look at it and we have to say, all right, how, what do we make of all this? What are we going to do? And if you're the prosecutor, you know, you're thinking, boy, I'm going to sap this thing up. I'm going to add the emotion. I'm going to add the, I'm going to play on all those heartstrings and present this testimony. And uh, like we talked about with, uh, with Randy and Loper there, it's like at some point I would be concerned that that can backfire, that a jury's going to look at this and say, why are we, or ask rather, why are we spending so much time on this when the real issues are causation and intent? And did they meet the legal elements of, of these charges? So and I've had, I've had plenty of trials where I've been able to stand up and make that argument, to stand up and say, you know, this is tragic, ladies and gentlemen. This is awful. This is horrible. Nobody wants to see any of this. But the question is not how much trauma it caused this person who filmed it. The question is whether this was a homicide by definition of law, whether this is what, this is the crime that they're accusing him of committing. And, you know, and then you can even take it farther. And then you have to ask why, if that's what this trial is really about, are they spending so much time giving you this information? And you can either let it dangle or you can, you can close the loop for them. It's like, is, mm-hmm. it, is it possibly because they want you to feel emotionally connected to this case and render a verdict perhaps on less than solid evidence? Right. Right. Loper, he's a big fight fan of all kinds. There. He is, yeah. So I was wondering what his, he, I mean, not like he had the time. You know, but I was wondering what his feeling about, you know, yeah, I didn't hear once again, I I didn't hear that. I knew that there was an MMA fighter that stood up there, gave his, his two cents. Yeah. And that's, um, it's really, as soon as I heard that that happened, it's a great issue because it's not like, it's not like TV, you know, it's not TV shows where you, you can't just give opinions. And, and when you see TV testimony or TV show or movie testimony, a lot of times witnesses will give opinions. Like, what do you think about this? Or in your opinion, could it have been this? Or uh, something else that is not just what happened next. And you're not allowed to do that. The general rule is you can't do that. I can't put a witness on the stand and say, what do you think happened? Or what is this? And then there's other types of areas that you can't just call people to testify or or just a normal person to say, what kind of chokehold is this? And the reason is... (coughs) It requires some expertise in the area of chokeholds, and what better expert than a, than an MMA fighter, somebody who is trained? Now, if I'm on the defense side, I'm going to say, look, this guy's trained in chokes, but not law enforcement. The, the better expert is somebody who's got the proper law enforcement training on the technique that Chauvin used, and because I understand it to be that he was trained to do this, that there there was a protocol that not only uh, trained him, but th- this is this was maybe even encouraged as a means of submission rather than uh, a deadly uh, use of force. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know how that plays out or what the judge's decision-making process was. But again, you start to get into this. It's like he's using terms like blood choke. And he starts to talk about, I think there was like this testimony about how Chauvin's knee was twitching or doing something else. And 
you, you start to cross maybe another boundary that's not permitted, and that is piling on emotionally prejudicial testimony that has minimal relevance, but a huge likelihood of of causing prejudice. So, what we say under Evidence Rule four hundred three is that if the if the relevance is is minimal, but the possibility and likelihood of a prejudicial uh, outcome from that evidence is is high, then you shouldn't do it. So, you know, you, this happens all the time. You can admit evidence that is seemingly irrelevant, like bloody photographs. This is is sort of the quintessential. So, if I got a murder case, and I want to try to prove that this is the right person, or this is you have to prove the identity of of who was killed or something. So to do that, I'm going to pick the bloodiest, most gruesome autopsy photo and put it on the big screen in front of the jury. Or maybe I've had this happen in, in uh, infant death cases where they've, they've got basically an infant on an autopsy table with, uh, with its brain next to it. You know, just horrible stuff nobody wants to see. Right. And the prejudicial impact of that is, is extreme. Meaning the jury's going to look at that and say, oh, my gosh, this is so awful. And it's they're, the likelihood that they're going to draw an adverse inference just from the gruesomeness of it outweighs the relevance of just saying, yeah, the baby's died. <laughs> it's, it, it, it has no value. Now, if it's relevant because the cause of death is part of it. So I've had cases where in, say, shaken baby allegations where the, the injury to the brain was very relevant. So it that's part of it. But it's funny how that unfolds, and then it unfolds clinically. You know, it's like there's, it, it's not just a gruesome picture with no explanation. It's like a very clinical explanation of what's going on. So, well, they're trying to get into clinical with the AMA guy then, and, kind of. Yeah, but then he's coming in using terms like blood choke, and he's. It's like, I, I, you know, I think, which is not a medical term, and it's it's, it's, a, prof- it's a professional term. It's a professional term right. in the sense of um, what's the hold call. Or what's the choke call right. in his version, in his arena? Now, I don't know the, the if that applies and how the cops are trained. I, I don't know. I mean, there, there may be questions that, or there may be other information out there that we need to know to answer it definitively. But I would guess that some of this is just about the optics and putting on a bit of a spectacle to gather sympathy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the sympathy is to get the jury to side against Chauvin. And, yeah, look, I'm not blaming fault in the prosecutor. They're trying to get a conviction. They're doing what they do. Sure. Yeah. But it's that law of unintended consequences, man. You start doing too much of that, and uh, you, you're setting up an argument. I loved, I love making this argument. Like, why are they wasting so much time trying to get you to feel sorry for this 9-year-old or this 17-year-old or this uh, giving you terms that sound so horrible? It's like, what, really, isn't the issue over here, folks? I mean, isn't it over here? And it's it's funny because I know I only know those arguments so well because <clears throat> typically it's the defense who's, who's engaged in such trickery. You know, it's like that's the that's the smoke and mirrors and the hat tricks that we try to pull out. Like, feel sorry for this guy. Don't look over here where he's guilty of sin. Feel sorry for him and and let him go. So I don't know. We'll see. I think the expert testimony I thought was really interesting because it's a great legal issue on whether that individual should be qualified as an expert in a case like this. Clearly he was, and if there was an objection, it's one of those things that if, uh, if the case is, ends up in a conviction, there'll be an appeal on issues like that. That's, that's just how it works. Well, they've seen the knee hold so many times. They had to bring in something else. And there's the, picking a jury for this. <sighs> yeah. I mean, there's, I don't know if, there was, if there's anybody that doesn't know the story. you got to go to the moon. You gotta go to the moon. Yeah, <laughs> you do. And 
you know, I thought about this. Do you really, if I'm the defense, and I know they did file a motion to uh, change the venue. Um, and the idea of changing venue is you want to be, you want to get a place to try the case where it's not prejudiced by all the media. And believe it or not, Ohio makes it big again. The old doc, um, um, what's the, the run or not the runaway, the, um, the old TV series, Fugitive. Fugitive, right. Yeah, what was his name? Dr. Uh, Ah, we need the ex-checker. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's on the tip of my tongue. But there was a case, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court on pretrial publicity and, and venue issues and, and whether that can prejudice a trial, <clears> et cetera. But on the defense side, you may not want it out of the local ju- – I mean, you may say, listen – On this one, Dr. Kim, I think Dr. that you, Kimball. you just want to keep it there. No, no Kimball was – is it Kimball? That's what I'm seeing. Maybe. Fugitive. What's the guy's real name, though? The guy in the Fugitive was Kimball, but that wasn't his real name. In oh. It uh, um, was up in Cleveland, Lakewood. Yeah. Old F. Lee Bailey came in, defended yeah. him after he was convicted. Good stuff. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, ah, that's, I'll think of yeah. it in a second. But anyway, the um, if you're, the, I mean, you may want it locally. You may say, look, man, I, I'm gonna stand proud right where I right where I live and work. And th- th- this this was uh, <coughs> this was an overreach to begin with. They made it something that it wasn't. I feel horrible about this, but I'm standing proud right here. I'll stand by what I did. And you folks, you, you're my peers. You give me the judgment that uh, you think is right. But uh, and, and I guess the point is it might even be worse somewhere else. Did you see a witness list? How many people are they bringing up? Do you know? I did not look at the whole witness list, but I'm guessing a lot. I uh, I, I mean, I would guess that there's going to be a high number. I mean, so right now we're probably just what on the prosecution side? Still on the prosecution side. And I guess the types of witnesses we can you would expect to see. But we've already talked about some of them, the eyewitnesses and the ones who uh, taped everything or filmed everything on their phones, the uh, emergency responders. Uh, the other police officers, those are sort of the first witnesses called, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, you might even next the next round or sort of the the heavyweight rounds are going to be the uh, the experts, the coroners, cause of death stuff. And I think there is an allegation that um, Shalvin worked with this guy. Shalvin worked with Floyd at something. So yeah. you might expect some background information like that to try to establish a motive that uh, Shalvin actually wanted to kill uh, Floyd. I think that's a stretch too, but <clears throat> I just don't see that. I just don't. And maybe it, it, I, I think a lot of this stuff, a lot of these dots get connected in the way that the jury wants to connect them based on how they feel about the case as a whole. I mean, you know, if it's a, if, if they have started with this notion that he's guilty of something and they're going to be able to connect the dots to, to get what they want. Or if they're starting with like, wait a minute, there's gotta be more to this than, um, did they move that to trial really quickly though? I mean, it's been within, a year isn't that like fast paced <clears throat> or not really yes and no i mean because i know sometimes they want to let it kind of settle because we forget we tend to forget the emotions and such if we kind of let it sit for a couple of years which gives it a better per you know preview of everything but yeah. it, it just seemed like it wow we're here already it was like last year it, it was just a what was the date of the whole thing it was well i got it right here it was may 25th okay so less, less than, than a year less than a year <clears throat> yeah that surprises me that it was less than a year i mean that tells me they want this thing off the docket and done right right and that's probably for political reasons as much as anything um and it may not be you know if you're the defense i don't know what i would think about all that i mean you had a year of shutdown so for covid so there's been time to work on it i guess um depending on how their businesses operate if you're on the defense side, but it's going. And, uh, you know, if I'm a judge, I would say, guys, here's the deal. Get it done. How much time you need, you tell me. 
And I've had judges tell me this, like, how much time you need? I'll say a year. I'll give you a year, but don't come back in 10 months and tell me you need another year. Mm. I'll give you a year, and uh, we'll do it. So that's, how, that's probably how I'd handle this if I were the judge in the case. I'm like, listen, how much time do you really need? Just be honest with me. Be honest, and as long as you stand by your timeline, I'll give it to you. And absent some act of God or something else that is out of your control, we're sticking by it. And, you know, I guess that's another thing. You know, it's a good point, Brett, because there was something else that happened in the midst of this, and this is relevant to what I was reading this morning. Um, there were there were three separate charges in this complaint, um, and one of them is what they're calling up there like a depraved heart homicide or a depraved, depraved heart murder. Um, and the, the count actually says, third-degree murder, perpetrating eminently dangerous act and evincing depraved mind. And what it says is that on or about May 25th, 2020, in Hennepin County, Derek Michael Chauvin caused the death of another, George Floyd, by perpetrating an act eminently dangerous to others and evincing a depraved mind without regard for human life. And there was a motion to dismiss this count. So the defense said, wait a minute, there's not probable cause to support this count. It is legally, uh, it's legally not, uh, it doesn't, it, it's legally in, in, inapplicable. And the argument is that the, this is an act that sort of is like if I fire a hand grenade into a crowd and kill a bunch of people, I didn't have the intent to kill one specific person, but rather in a depraved way, I wanted to hurt everybody. I just want to kill everybody, sort of generally speaking. There was another case up there, uh, an officer by the name of Noom, N-O-O-M, who was convicted of that charge. And uh, this was in the last couple of years. And his case was appealed. And the Court of Appeals upheld the conviction and said, just because there was a single person identified, that is, in in our situation, would be Chauvin identified Floyd and acted with this depraved mind. That doesn't preclude, it doesn't prevent a prosecution for that charge, even though the charge on its elements seems to suggest that you should, uh, that it requires you to act sort of generally with a depraved mind towards no one individually. So they were arguing, individually speaking, you can't charge it. It's got to be to the public in general. All right, so that's the backdrop. The defense filed a motion to dismiss, and it was granted. Uh, The judge said, grant. Uh, I'm going to dismiss it, no probable cause. Prosecutor appealed. And they said, uh, in the meantime, what had happened is the Noom case was reviewed by the Court of Appeals and affirmed, upheld. The judge, nonetheless, in Chauvin's case said, I don't care what that case says. It's not precedent as far as I'm concerned, and I'm going to dismiss it anyway. Uh, so the prosecutor appeals, in, in Chauvin's case, appeals. So now you got a, you got a, you got an appeal in the middle of this case being worked up. goes up to the Court of Appeals, and the Court of Appeals says, uh, no, you got to you got uh, to reinstate that charge because you have to treat the Noom case as precedent. What the judge in Chauvin's case was trying to say is, look, it's not precedent because the Supreme Court or there's a higher court that's going to review it later, so it's not set in stone yet. And it turns out that the Supreme Court has agreed up in Minnesota to review the Noom case. So that area of law is wide open. In other words, it could very well be, and this this is I think this is important for people to understand. The appeal, for those who even have followed it, isn't that the charge is necessarily proper. It is that the precedent established in the Noom case by the Court of Appeals binds the trial court in Chauvin's case to follow it, even though the Noom case is still under review ultimately by 
the highest court in their land, the, the Minnesota Supreme Court, and that eventually may even get up to the U.S. Supreme Court. But so all that means is that it was an appeal about this. It, this happens all the time. Like you get these weird little side issues. Like, it does this court have to follow the precedent of a court of appeals case that's under challenge? I guess now, yes, in Minnesota anyway. So that happened. So in the midst of all this, in this time frame, this case has gone up and down from the court of appeals. So they're, this is on a rocket docket, man. They are pushing this thing. Wow. And uh, it's going. But so that's the and that would be the one that would be the charge, ironically, that I would be worried about the most if I were the defense, because it's just got enough ambiguous sort of, I don't know, wishy-washy, soft language in it that you could convict and say, eh, yeah, he probably did that. Well, it's unrefined over time as well. It's like, okay, this is fresh. Right. <laughs> Use it. It's like, whoa, 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 this has got to stand a few more times to go up against if, if it has legs. Yeah, and it's it's it just sounds like by perpetrating an act imminently dangerous to others and evincing a depraved mind without regard for human life. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, that sounds on the face like, oh, that sounds like, if you look at the video, it's like, well, that's what he did. So this could end up being like the, this could be the case. I mean, you could see acquittals or not guilties on um, on the other two. Which, and, which are? All right, so let's go through those. The first one he's charged with is second-degree murder, which is unintentional while committing a felony. And I'll read it, and I'll explain what it is. It says that on or about May 25th in Hennepin County, Chauvin caused the death of a human being, that's George Floyd, without intent to affect the death of any person while committing or attempting to commit a felony offense other than a sexual offense, um, namely an assault in the third degree. So what this is saying is the, the old-fashioned common law would call the common law would call this felony murder. If I break into your house, Jared, I've committed a felony by breaking into the house and you attack me because you're no pushover and uh, uh, I end up shooting you and or Shorty or I, I commit a murder. I can be charged with felony murder even though I didn't intend to kill anybody. Or, you know, this is another one that happens where you shoot at me and you end up shooting your wife instead. In the, in the melee, you do it. Well, I can be convicted of felony murder even though I didn't have any specific intent to kill Shorty. Because of my felony, somebody died. And what they're saying is he committed the felony of uh, assault in the third degree. Well, I looked that up. And in, in Minnesota, that means that somebody has committed an assault that cause substantial bodily harm. And that can be like a broken bone, it says specifically. It could be, um, it could be a, uh, something that sort of requires medical attention or something that caused a problem. And it's, it's wishy-washy enough where it might fit. But then you have another problem. It's like police officers assault. An assault is, is basically causing physical harm to somebody else without a privilege to do it. And there is a baked-in privilege for police officers to assault people. They do it all the time. I mean, you can't just say every time somebody resists arrest and the police apprehend him, there's an assault there. They take you down to the ground. They bruise your wrist for, with, the, with the handcuffs, and you hit your face and get a black eye. Those are assaults, but it's, they have a privilege to do it, meaning they're allowed to. And this th then becomes this weird sort of sliding scale, a matter of degree. Is there, is there, was there excessive force that would have taken them out of the privilege to commit the act or taken Chauvin out of the privilege to commit the act. And that's where this case sort of lies. So that's another dangerous one, I think, if I'm defending the case. It's like if they think that he went too far, committed an assault, then um, 
you know, then it's felony murder. And that's a big one. I mean, that's like four, not more than 40 years. Hmm. So do the math on that. That's a, that's a big one. And uh, so felony murder is a scary one. <coughs> um, and then you've got the, the last charge, which is a second degree manslaughter. And this is defined as Derek Chauvin caused the death of another, that's George Floyd, by his culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk and consciously took the chances of causing death or great bodily harm to another. So by, he's, by culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk and consciously took the chances of causing death or great bodily harm to another, that's George Floyd. Um, now, this is manslaughter. This is what we would call in Ohio involuntary manslaughter. In other words, you didn't mean to kill anybody. Um, you didn't want necessarily to kill anybody, but you were negligent in, in, in your act, and that created a risk, and somebody died as a result. So this is like a, a classic lesser murder-type charge. Um, this is another scary one. It is also the, the least... Uh, I guess the least serious one too. So it's got imprisonment of not more than 10 years. Um, you can see a conviction on this too. This is like, if I were indicting the case, that's all I would have indicted. Probably. Probably. I might've looked at the first count. I might've looked at the felony murder and then the other one, but you know, the, the indictment is what it is. They've reached pretty far, you know, because if you're the defense yet or looking at these charges, you have to always think it's like, all right, so this is a police officer acting, and if you look, the first issue in every one of these things, the, the common element is cause, causation. Did he cause the death? And that means that what he did caused the death. This is why the big testimony is coming. This is why the coroner's reports and the, and the medical professionals are going to have to come in on behalf of the prosecutor and really link this up. And that, I think, Jared, that's going to set up that MMA guy too. The MMA guy is part of that setup. Because I, I anticipate, well, you know, we heard evidence that there was this blood choke. Could a, could a blood choke designed to do blah, 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 blah cause the death of somebody else? And I'm sure the state's expert is going to say, well, absolutely it could. But then the defense experts are going to say, well, wait a minute. He was going to die anyway. One, he had a heart condition. And two, he was overdosing on fentanyl and uh, was going through uh, uh, that that process and that killed him. So irrespective of what Chauvin did or Chauvin didn't do anything to exacerbate that. All he did was what he was trained to do. I mean, he was trained to put his knee on Chauvin's throat, uh, the way he did. Now it looks horrible. That's the problem with the case. I mean, that, that particular, that particular technique looks bad. It looks horrible. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure the defense is going to have more video that hasn't been released. It will able to be out in media, but they didn't show it. It was not, it didn't get the coverage, right? <clears throat> and that's the other part because, of it. Because, you know, it's how, how did they get there? Yeah, so it, it's like if you ask that question to people, the, like a lot of times you get some blank stares. Like, oh, and I always ask it this way. I say, I wonder how he ended up in the front of the car. When I first saw the, the video of him standing, it's like, how did he end up in the front of the car like that? I don't know. It just gets real quiet. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, I, I think that was released at some point, and it has been released, and shot, uh, or uh, Floyd wouldn't get in the cruiser they had him sort of in and then he fought his way out and said i don't want to be in the police were saying look you will put the windows down just hang out in the cruiser just do whatever and he didn't you know he he resisted that ended up in the front of the cruiser with chauvin's knee on him and i guess i'm anticipating there there should be an expert or testimony coming from the defense 
that talks about how they've been trained to utilize that technique and why. And how well that come, that goes over, I think, is critical for what Chauvin's future. I mean, if if he did it the way he was trained, then, man, that's a real tough – that's like – it's tough to convict him for that. Um, if he didn't do it the way he was trained or they broke protocol, whether right or wrong – I mean, I, I this is the problem with protocols. They can – just because you – you went outside your protocol and training doesn't necessarily mean what you did was wrong. And the opposite's also true. Just because you followed protocol doesn't mean what you did was right, but it tends to sort of sort that way. You know, it's like, well, I did what I was trained, so I guess I got a pass for it. Hmm. Um, and in the context of police privilege, that's going to be very important. And uh, I'll be very eager to hear the request for the defense jury instructions on this. Like if you find <clears throat> that Mr. Chauvin employed trained procedure uh, or employed a technique uh, per the training procedure that he received, the training he received for the procedure, then he had a privilege to do it. And, uh, you know, I I would be requesting that. Hmm. And I've had cases where I've called other police officers in on issues like this. Have you been trained to use force like this? Yes, we have. And what's the training? Well, the training says this. And there's also something that the police and, and the law recognizes, and it's like the use of force continuum. Like you asked, Jerry, how did you? How did he get there? There's a continuum, and you can't just resort to the most serious force. It has to escalate in some way. And as I understand this chokehold, it was designed not to kill, and instead only submit. And just because it killed here, you can't blame that on Chauvin. That's going to be the defense argument. You know, look there. He was doing what he was told to do. He employed the technique reasonably well. This is what um, this is what his training would have said to do. And all these people, like he's also trained, and and, and I, I always am capable of cutting through, not always, but I try to of cutting through the emotional gut reaction to things. And if you're if you're sitting there in Chauvin's position, and you've got all these people yelling at you like, "You can't do this! Stop! 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 You can't do this!" And you've been trained what you're doing. Don't worry, he may pass out, but it's not going to kill him. Uh, don't worry. Um, then you know you're going to say these people don't know what they're talking about. If I lift my knee, he's going to get up and he's going to run again. I'm just, I've been trained to do this. I'm doing it right. I know I'm doing it right. Or it could be it's like I don't care about this guy. He's a horrible, rotten crook anyway. And I used to work with him, and he's an asshole, and I want him dead. I mean, it's like it could it's like that's the narrative on the other side. Or I just hate it. I hate black people, so I'm going to kill him. Or I don't care. Um, but if there's legitimate testimony by others that comes in that says, this is what he is supposed to do in this situation, it's not his fault that he did what he was supposed to do. In other words, that negates the element of intent. So there's two big issues that are sort of part and parcel for these charges. One, causation. Did what, did that blood choke or did he do something beyond the blood choke? That that exacerbated the death. That would that except for that, uh, that's that's not quite the thing. There's there's that approximately caused the death. It was reasonably and approximately calculated to cause the death. Um, and uh, did he have a privilege to do it? Was he tra- was he doing what he's trained to do? I mean, that's going to be the thing because just because you've got Chauvin sent or you happen to have uh, George Floyd, who is uniquely susceptible to this because he's in the throes of a of a fentanyl overdose and a heart condition. Is that going to always be, or should that be, on Chauvin to know? In the sense that 
if he didn't know, did he commit murder? Because you can look at it this way. If, if uh, Floyd didn't die and was just arrested, and all things other, other than that are equal, was there a crime? You know, it's, a, it's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. It's like, was there a crime? Did, did Chauvin commit a crime? And it's uh, it's not an easy question, you know. It's like it's uh, so. Say there's not an overdose going on. He's just resisting, and he employs the same blood choke, and uh, Floyd lives. Maybe sues the police for something for some, you know, civil rights violation. Maybe he wins. Who knows? But uh, he doesn't die. Is there, uh, there no? I don't think anybody would prosecute anything. And I mean, I know he's trained to do that. No big deal. But just because he died, and it's a unique situation that he died um, because of his existing condition that. Chauvin didn't know. And he didn't know the fentanyl situation was going on. I don't know. So okay. that's uh, that's going to be, uh, I, I'm not I'm not presuming yeah, it. Yeah. If you're the prosecutor, you're going to say he either knew or the big catch words are he should have known. He should have known that this was going on. How would he have, though? Uh, unless they're trained to see well, reaction to drugs COVID. or something. He yeah. was also COVID positive. He was COVID positive. Yeah. And, you know, I saw the initial video. Chauvin was acting, or uh, Floyd was acting oddly. I mean, he wasn't. He was clearly on high on something, but whether he was, whether they knew that he was going to be dying, or whether he knew he was in the in the death rows there, right? Because I think that's a better argument. If you said, "Look, this guy's overdosing," your better play here would have been to get him to the hospital right away. Now, then they're going to turn around and say, "Well, I tried. I, tried. I mean, he would have gotten the care he needed if he just got in the damn cruiser, and we we would have, you know, that then he would have had medical attention." But um, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a. This case is a coin toss. Is, I, do, is the defense going to go to Floyd's priors? Are they going to bring that up or not? Is that too muddy? Is that is that or where, where do they go with that? Well, I think if I'm the defense, you got to be real. I, I would you be careful with careful that. Careful with man. that. Does it doesn't matter? The first question is: Is no. it legally relevant? No. Is yeah. it legally no. relevant? I wouldn't think so. And, and it might be if it changed how they are trained to deal with them. So if you approach somebody who's got 15 violent crimes, you're going to do it differently than if you approach somebody who's got no prior record. Okay. And you can say that that's not fair. You can say that's discriminatory. You can say whatever you want, but that's just a fact. I mean, if I'm, it, look, I'm not going to go fight an MMA fighter. I don't care what they did to me. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I can't win. Mm-hmm. Or if I go, if I'm, if I know that I'm in a standoff there, I'm going to act differently than I would if it's like a, a nine-year-old kid. You know, you just, you're going to. And that's, that's just, that's, that's reality. You can't, you can't, you can't use any any rhetorical allegation to negate the reality of that. So if if his record becomes relevant based on what to establish what Chauvin knew and how he acted or how the other law enforcement people treated the situation, well, maybe it comes in for that. But you got to be careful. I mean, you, you're gonna you're gonna do what we're accusing the prosecutors. That's doing. that's 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 the way yeah. I feel about it. Well, then it goes back to your scenario of what happened prior. Did they even know the guy? Was it just like boom? Get him, get him, you know, get him in the car. I mean, did they even know was, George Floyd's name? It's on tape. Um, Floyd went in and passed some counterfeit money. Okay. Uh, they called the police. The police come out to investigate so they, it. He, he was ID'd. He was they ID'd. Knew, okay. All he right. was in cuffs. He was sitting on the sidewalk in cuffs before they tried to put him in the cruiser. It's like this, this stuff is not really that good for Chauvin um, because he was sitting on the sidewalk in cuffs in the sense that it was pretty clear when he was going through that that, that, that Floyd was – not normal, mm-hmm. not behaving normal. Um, on the other hand, uh, he was sort of belligerent too. You know, the, like he wouldn't get in the police cruiser. He, he refused to comply with orders. 
I don't think anybody can fault the police response in the sense that, look, there was a crime report. You're going to go check it out. I mean, there are people that are going to, but I don't think that's a reasonable, I, I don't, whether, whether you agree with that or don't agree with that, you know, the police were called, they went out, they start investigating. It's what they should do. Now, did they act differently because it's shot or because it's Floyd and he happens to be a black man or did they do exactly what they would have done for anybody? Now you're going to get a million different answers to that and none of them are relevant for this case. I mean, that's the thing. So it's like, it, it's to me, when I first saw this, I've said this before on the show, but when I first saw this, I thought, I wonder what caused death. And I wonder if he's a racist because neither were obvious to me and call me a ra- or call me whatever. I don't give a crap. But to me, it wasn't obvious looking at this as a defense lawyer. Those are the first two questions I had. Was it racially motivated and can they prove that? And by, by proof, I mean, are there prior writings, text messages, conduct in his past that show that he takes a certain approach against certain races? I mean, that's that would be all bad. Um, and it, whether even if it's not admissible, it's bad because the court of public opinion would would skewer him, or and or what caused the death? Because it just you know, it wasn't so obvious to me that he was intending to just choke this guy out and, and kill him. I mean, it, it happened, but it didn't look to me like he thought he was actually killing the guy. Uh, it looked like, and, and I think he was probably legitimately surprised when he found out he did. Um, so I, you know, call me or, or disagree with me as you will as a defense lawyer. That's how I looked at it. And it turns out that's exactly what the issues are. You know, it's like, um, and where is Chavez? Is he being held or is he out? I think he got out on bond. Um, or at least I saw a modification That's of bond. That's what I thought too. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's not, I don't think that's unreasonable. You no, know, I just like, didn't, I just did not know. Yeah. He's not, I don't think he would be a threat to flee or a threat to community. Yeah. yeah. Everybody knows him. Where's he going? Where's he going? Yeah. Right, right, right. yeah. He's not going anywhere. Like he can't go to the grocery store. All right. Yeah. He, and when this is all done, where's he going? Uh, yeah. Underground. E- either yeah. way. He's like e- the Furman, e- the right? Either way it goes. He's going to go hide in, in Idaho or something. You know, I don't know. I mean, when if they got to lock him up, I mean, this guy's they got, they got, they're going to have to keep him out of general pop. He's toast. Yeah. He's toast, man. He'll be, he's toast. I can't imagine him surviving this. I mean, either way, he's going to have to align with bad people. Yes. So he's got bad people against him. He's going to have to align with bad people to try to protect him. I mean, his, he is, it's a very, very, uh, and then, like I say, so let's say for some unknown reason he he walks. Then how does he go? To, I mean, how's he gonna live his life? Instacart yeah. for the rest of his life. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure that when he was when he, whenever he was whenever he was first locked up, didn't his wife file for divorce? I think and, so. Yeah. And I think really. that yeah. So I mean, like you know, he's got that whole joy going through his life. Yeah. Um. And, you know, I have no idea what kind of guy Chavez was. I don't. I have no idea. I, You know, and nobody's – here's the problem with the case, and this is, again, the, the unintended consequences of, of what people want. The media has not given this a fair look. And I'm not saying that in a, in a, in, in a way that I disagree necessarily with what the media has said, although on, in many ways I do, but in other ways I don't. I mean, they have not said or they have not really reported on the background of Chavez. Like, we don't know anything other than he's this horrible guy who's a racist and killed people. You know, it's like that. It's like I, I've not heard much about that. 
And the media has not really reported much about the contrary um, uh, cause of death opinions that, ha- that have been floating around out there. It's like you have to go look for that stuff. I mean, it's not, it's not so. If there was proof that he was a flamboyant racist. You would think. You would think that we would have heard about it. it, it yeah. Yeah, you would, fast. you would think. Somebody would have found it. Yeah. I mean, in the media, you know they were looking. Oh, yeah. I mean, people every any, tweet, any text, post on any, any, yeah, social anything. media, anything. Any, you know right. I mean? And you would think that if he had a lengthy file of brutality on the streets in the service. We would have heard about it. We would have heard about yeah. it. And now there is this notion that he worked with, with Floyd at some, as security in some bar or something. But I've heard mixed things. I've heard, like, this is a big place. They didn't work really together. I know, yeah. And, but, you know, we've heard, we had somebody in here who was saying, well, it turns out they didn't like each other or, or you know, maybe. Maybe. But, but look, there's people I don't like. It doesn't mean I'm going to kill them if I ever had a chance. You know, it's like that's a that's a huge stretch. And this is why, and I'm not saying that that, that it, if they had that evidence, then present it. Go, go, you know, knock yourself out. But, again, if, you're, if you want to win this case and you're the prosecutor, you have to be very, very careful of overreach. You cannot take on things uh, that are either going to look like you're trying to just inflame the passions and prejudice of the jury just to get people riled up for the sake of doing it to get a conviction because I don't think juries are stupid. I think juries are quite smart. I think juries have have the innate ability to see through that nonsense and think they're just trying to get me pissed off and emotional so I get a conviction. What's the real evidence? And I think when they make those when they make that connection, they tend to look at the evidence a little bit more skeptically. So uh, what was it? Minnesota gave him $27 million to the family. Yeah. Uh, timing on that was uh, Timing on that was, was, weird. was, was weird. Yeah. Um, so to a point from the defense, wouldn't you be like this? The state is already accepting the blame for the impartial training, the, the wrong training of the, I mean, that he followed along. They've already, yeah. they've already taken the blame. That's a good point. I mean, yeah. we would have to see what the terms and conditions and the basis of the settlement were if they yeah. were even disclosed. But I would say that the ne- there's two ways that goes. I mean, the state is going to take on the responsibility of liability for the police officers acting in the course and conduct of their duty. Um, and did they did they take it on because of bad training techniques, or did they take it on because of bad supervision? Did they take it on like what was the theory? Is it just a flat out federal 1983 case? Who knows? But uh, my guess is there's a bunch of undisclosed agreements that we'll never know about or at least will leak maybe far into the future but i think it was awful convenient that the state did that right before the trial starts yeah so so talk about the jurors what's their life like right now they're probably sequestered um you know if you you have to ask yourself would i really want to be on this trial um because you know you're gonna have to say no way (laughs) yes way or whatever you know i don't know maybe but Um, no (laughs) Yeah, there, there's. Oh. I didn't look to see if they're actually sequestered in a hotel. They could be. Okay. Um, and the, the courts can do that. They can just stick them in a hotel. I'm gonna and, tell you, that's my guess. I don't. Uh, you would think in something like this, it's like we have to hold them as much as we can. Yeah. Almost underground, basically. <clears throat> yeah. To the, a point where I'm sure they're. I would it, think. It, I, I wouldn't see where they're allowed to use the telephone. Yeah, they they monitor this. So what Dang. happens is the court says, like the general instruction all jurors get is you are not to talk about this with anybody, even amongst yourselves, until all the evidence is in. Then you can talk amongst yourselves, but still not other people. And, you know, they'll even go so far. And sometimes I ask jurors, like, look, I'm going to see you on the elevator coming and going from court here for the next two weeks. I'm just going to act like I don't know you. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to do I'm going to do these awful things like look the other way and walk the other way. It's because we don't want to have any appearance of impropriety. We don't even want to look like 
uh, when I say have a good day, I'm trying to influence you. And I don't want it to be like when I don't say have a good day, I'm mad at you. You know, so it's this weird, stupid practice that we all engage in. Um, but they're not, in theory, allowed to read the news. They're not allowed to do their own research. They're not allowed to talk to their families about the case. They are allowed to talk to their families. They are allowed to read the news, but not about this case. And they're, they're allowed to uh, live their lives and look on Facebook. But the danger of them doing those things, when it's so pervasive like this, you're, the judge is going to think they're going to run into it. So they're going to probably get like their phones for... They'll be allowed to call home, but they'll be ordered not to talk about the case. And how much are they going to trust them not to talk about the case? I mean, there's classic examples of jurors going and researching witnesses on Facebook or jurors looking up scientific evidence and getting like, oh, wait a minute, this is something totally different. But I've, yeah, I've heard, I've found where I've heard stories of, of jurors that have been caught looking up witnesses and, and, and then they get like, that guy's got to go. They got to go. And then they found out there's like, uh oh, there was four of them that did it. Yeah. Mistrial. Yep. So somebody asked me the other day about um, they sat like 15 or 20 jurors. I don't remember what they sat, but they're alternates. They get to sit and listen to all the evidence. But once the jury returns or goes back to deliberate, they don't get to participate in that. So, you know, they got some extras in case they get one or two that get sick or one or two that get caught with their hands in the cookie jar or doing something they shouldn't. And they're sequestered as well then. They're living yeah. the life of a juror. Yeah. They get to do everything except the fun stuff. Right. Yeah. Participate. Unless somebody goes out. Unless yeah. somebody goes out. And then, you know, ultimately the risk is mistrial. Nobody wants a mistrial. Nobody wants. I mean, I guess on the defense side, if it's really going badly or something horrible happens, you're like, oh, thank God I got a mistrial. But then you got to do it again. You know, that's what that's what sucks. You got to start over. I've had those where the judge is like, all right, we'll see you tomorrow morning. We'll bring in a new jury. I'm just thinking, yeah, that sucks. But uh, so that could happen. And, uh, you know, uh, so what's the jury experience? Probably intense, man. I mean, I think you you hear like the OJ jurors interviewed and you hear some other famous juries interviewed. It sticks with them. I mean, they, they remember it like it's yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, it's a it's probably like this blurry yet intense experience and maybe even overwhelming. I can't imagine what it would be like. And this is maybe a good lesson for the trial lawyers. There's so much information that they're trying to take in. And you're trying to convey to them. And we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing that so they best understand it? And if anybody has any 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 question at all about what trial lawyering is, is about, it's that. It's that. It's not all this detailed nuance uh, that you go through in advance. All that goes down to answer this one question. It's like, how do I convey this to the jury in a way that they understand it and agree with me? Because that... You can, you know, there, there's always a hundred points you can make, but there's only like three they're going to remember. And how do you pick that? How do you, how do you choose which direction to go? And, and what is it? And those are, that's why we do things like focus groups. We do things like um, uh, mock trials. We do all sorts of experimental things in advance to try to pick the best way to present the case. Some of it's just, some people are good at it and some people aren't. And I was going to, how can the weight of, if they say he's innocent, that they don't walk out being called a racist. That that has to wouldn't you think or has to weigh you, on what, you? What if somebody says like this? You know, I would like to say no, but then they're going to burn down the cities. Yeah. Well, or that. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? The, it's like on our better, call. Yeah, it burns. And here's the, yeah. the, the great questions because what's going on out in in the world? It makes me sick to my stomach. The there's people out there, and they're just baiting it. 
they're saying this is a test to see if our society is racist because unless they convict they're racist unless this happens our society is racist and you know when i hear stuff like that it almost makes me sick to my stomach because this case he's not charged with being a racist no i don't i didn't read that in any of these charges none of them didn't see it so the only way race is relevant is if he used that if he used his racist animosity as a means to gather the intent necessary to kill or commit these crimes, well, then maybe racism is, is relevant for that. But I'm not hearing that either. So the question is, what has race got to do with it? And if you're going to draw a conclusion of guilt, not only in this case, but in a societal manner, if there's an acquittal, then shame on you. And because, you know, th- this is... Uh, then the process is ruined for everybody. You you have tainted it. You have you have you have pissed in the Kool Aid for everybody. It's like it is never clean again. If you just say we don't care about the process in this case because it's it's a white guy, a white cop, and a black man, and you don't care about proving it beyond a reasonable doubt, and you've already drawn that conclusion, and if you say anything else, you're a racist. Shame on you. How many days is this going to go on before the not 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 the juries? I'm just testimonies and, and going through. Do they have a Do they have a date set? They had a timeline. I don't know yet. I Which mean, I could see where it can go long or short. But I just didn't know if they had some general. I I, dates. I I would guess another week or so of testimony because you still got all the expert stuff. Sure. To happen. I mean, what I heard this morning was that in today's they left with one uh, woman who was a uh, medic that was on the scene, and uh, they ended with her, and they're going to start with her. So evidently, they weren't done. Right. Yeah. So we're still on the prosecution bringing forward all theirs. Then we're going to have, you know. Yeah. So you've got you've got a you've got the prosecution has to establish or call all their witnesses. So they've got well, however many medics or whoever left they want to call that were sort of the eyewitnesses. Then you got to get in the meat and potatoes of the science, and you know that's probably a half a day each, I would guess, if not more, because you've got not just their direct testimony, but then the cross examination. Um, Think we'll be done by the end of April. Yeah, <clears throat> I do. I think it's another week or so, week and a half. Um, and, and you know, I don't unless it's absolutely necessary, and it, and it hardly ever is. These lengthy, long trials, I don't think benefit either side. I mean, it just gets like it just turns into well, that, and you wear out the jury. The jury's you just think, worn yeah. out. Oh yeah, Dang. they just get worn out too much. It's too much, and you know sometimes it's sometimes in federal cases where there's a, just a lot of stuff. Sometimes it has to be, but man, it, like the OJ trial was way too long, way too long. It oh, that was a, that was a media that. circus, and it was a total that, circus. That just was designed for TV. Yeah, and this one, I, I think we've learned from that a lot. I think the the system has learned uh, not to do that, but. This is our trial, man. This is our Lindbergh trial. This is the show of the century. You know, this is like the, this is it. And I, I, I don't know. I, if I had to predict the outcome right now, um, I think he's getting convicted of something. And my guess is it's that lesser, the last charge, the involuntary Man, charge. Manslaughter. Manslaughter. That's, that's what I wrote down whenever he went through there. Yep. And I say he's going to get the 10. Yep. I, that's my guess. Um, and I don't know. Um, and that's not going to be enough. It's never going to be enough short of murder. Just out of curiosity, does, does um, Minnesota have the death penalty? I think they do, yeah. I don't. I, I, I haven't heard it being brought up. Well, I know yeah. this, is that there was a hue and cry on this thing. There was the mob hue and cry. 
to add the more serious charges. And, and my fear on this would be, if I'm the prosecutor, that if you pick, if you overreach, I've said this a hundred times, if you overreach on this, it backfires. I mean, he, I don't think anybody reasonably looking at it could say that he intended to kill somebody that day. I just don't see that. I don't, I just don't. I mean, people are going to, people can accuse me of all sorts of whatever, but I just, I don't think he did. I mean, and if you would argue this, like if he didn't tend to kill a black man that day, why would he do it that way with a hundred people watching and videos on, well, let's say, cause he's racist. He doesn't care. He knows he's going to get away with it, but that doesn't hold water. It's like, I, I just, you know, and he wasn't, he didn't look pissed off. He didn't look like he did it on purpose. He did look like a bit of a power tripping yes. uh, asshole. Yes. Yes. Um, and who, in pocket scenario that plays out big yeah. time. Like, okay. Yeah. But, but did he really intend to cause Floyd's death? Like meaning I did this on purpose. I'm going to stick my knee on this guy's neck until he dies. And I just disagree with anybody who says that that's what they, that's, that's what he was thinking. Cause I don't think they can prove that for, and, and I don't think they can prove it. Well, they're going to come with, there were medics and other people saying, asking him to stop. Right. So, and that's different than just somebody on the side of the street asking them to stop. Whenever they can go ahead and say, we had a medical professional, an emergency, you know, I mean, medically trained person here asking you to stop sure. saying from what their professional saw, what they, through their view, they were saying you're, cause that's what she said. She said that she was watching him kill him right. and I was asking him to stop. And that is why that third charge seems to fit. Mm. Yep. And I agree with that. I mean, I got no problem with that. But I don't, and I don't know what Chauvin's explanation for why he didn't stop. I don't know that. Is he taking the stand? Well, we were asking about defense witnesses. I mean, maybe. Like, does he have an explanation for that? I don't know. Does he have anything to lose by doing it? Maybe he <sighs> should, huh? Or um, one of those that's, just that's, don't do that's, it. That's that's. If I had, I, I don't know. You know, there's you know there's <clears throat> people that would disagree with me. Some defense lawyers statistically will say that. Your guy has to testify. Never bring the or never bring the guy up, or always bring the guy up. It's, you know? Or like I, I'm just like, well, it just all depends. But yeah. is he, he does? I don't I don't know his explanation <clears throat> to know that. Have we heard one? No, it's been pretty silent. Yeah, I would say his explanation is going to be I Protocol. did what I was trained to do. I did not think that I was killing him. I only thought that I was subduing him, and when he became silent i thought all right he's unconscious then we can you know the everybody's safe and i've got the situation under control and people may or may not believe that but that, that, i got a hunch that's what his what his version well now be. he can say the state has said well this hold is improper I, but i was told i could do this yeah but then you know, like you said jared the, the medics are saying stop that's enough let him go yeah um yeah you know, and his, you know, his response to that is, I mean, that's rhetorical in some ways. His response is going to be, they don't, they're not the ones that have to deal with this if he gets up and starts running. Because the alternative is, I got to chase him down and shoot him. And, you know, that's, that sounds horrible, but that's like, you know, what, then what? If he starts running away, then what? Or grabs somebody in the crowd. Grab somebody holds in the crowd. as a hostage. Right. So it's like. Escalates there. I mean, potentially. I mean, tons right. of scenarios. Tons and of those scenarios. are fair considerations, yeah. whether he had them or not. I have no idea. But the, the the big downside for the state, I guess, the takeaway, they may have overreached, charging too much, pushing too hard on the emotional buttons, and that can backfire. 
And the charges, like I said, too much in the sense that I, if they have bitten off the obligation to prove that he wanted to kill somebody that, that Chauvin wanted to kill or intended to, that, man, that's a problem. And then the other downside for the state is this causation mess. It's like if, if you know, they got to prove causation. And if there's contrary testimony that, that's, that's believable, I wait to hear it. Boy, that could go really wrong. Now, the downside for the defense, Chauvin looked horrible on that tape. He looked, like I say, looked like a power-tripping asshole, wasn't listening to his own his own government actors and was going to do what he was going to do. Don't tell me any differently. I know best. And he looks like a dick while he's doing it. And, you know, you, he, if I'm the defense, like if I'm focus grouping this case, that's what I that's where I'm starting. Like what kind of prejudice is that cause so I can figure out how to dismantle it or uh, or uh, defuse it in a trial? It's like because he looked like a dick. He, he looked like a dick. Yeah. He looked like a power-hungry cop. He did. Don't he, tell me what, what to mean? do. I and, got the and gun. And he had his smirk, mm-hmm. and he had his look on his face. I mean, the whole thing that was there, he does not look very good. He looks horrible. No. Nope. And that has been shown over and and it will be shown over and over and over again. So he's got to get around that mess. Now, I think how it all shakes out, it, if anything, assuming the causation is ambiguous, it's that third charge. I mean, that's what this is. I mean, and I think that's all that it ever was. I, I don't really think, I mean, at, at most, I think that's all it was, absent proof of some intentional act uh, caused by a personal relationship with this guy or, or with Floyd or something else. But, you know, it's... It, like we said from the beginning, it's a horrible scenario. It sucks for everybody. Floyd's dead, and that's awful. Chauvin is uh, what he is. You know, it's like these people had to go through this testimony. You know, it just it, it's a mess for everybody. And now it's been set up as an all-or-nothing scenario by the race baiters out there who are saying, if he is acquitted, then it's reflective of systemic racism in our country, and all is lost, and we're all going to riot. Instead of saying, if he's acquitted and the evidence didn't support the acquittal, then it might be, you know, it's like, you can say it in a way that may, it's like, if like everybody, like we are here, should reserve judgment on what the hell the evidence is. I mean, instead of jumping to the conclusion, because here's what happens next time. It's somebody of a different race on trial. And you have given up the protections and standards of proof beyond a reasonable doubt for everybody for all time, once you're willing to compromise them for the people you hate the most. That's the problem. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And if you think that this cause is different than every other cause for the last 200 years in our country or 220 years, it's like you're wrong. You are wrong. It is no different. It is just the same. You can't compromise the standards and the protections in the criminal justice system just because you don't like somebody or you think it's something. And even if you're right, you can't do it. And that's that's when you shouldn't do it even more. So with that, we uh, will watch it unfold. You know, I think um, it'll be uh, uh, my biggest worry is there's an acquittal and riots. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I think that's going to play into the jury. Yeah. I, you know, man. How does it not? Because you got to remember, this affected everybody. Yeah, it affected you. It affected me. It mm-hmm. affected cities, of an multiple cities. Yes, it, it, it affected any, I mean, all over most states. You you had something going on in your state. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep. Now I got it. And then the issue is, what if it's a, what if it's, what if it ends up kissing your sister here? It's sort of like a, a split verdict where you get a guilty on second degree manslaughter and he gets 10 years. <clears throat> you know, is there writing for that? And, and here's, here's why I say shame on the prosecutor's office. And if they've thought about this and they think they got something held back I don't know about, then so be it. But when they start piling on charges, the more serious ones, it just I, I just started to think, man, they're just leaving an argument wide open to say these people are overreaching on this so they can overreach on everything. It shows that they are disingenuous to the facts of the case. They don't care. They care about the narrative and the version and what everybody's going to say about them, but they don't care about getting to the truth. Why else would they pick these super serious charges that don't fit the facts? Hmm. Where's the evidence? And if they don't have it and they try to they try to prove it and just rely on emotion and sympathy and passion and prejudice instead of solid evidence, they risk losing every they risk losing all three. That's the problem. So I could see it going either way, man. I could see this. I could see him walking out. I could see him getting convicted of all three. I could see him uh, but my prediction is he gets convicted of the manslaughter. My prediction. Yeah. So, all right. Well, another riveting hour or so of lawyer talk. Good stuff today, I think. Um, We got to cover. We'll do another shop and follow up. Yes. To be continued. To be continued. I think we need it. I I can't wait to hear the coroners. I love the scientific evidence. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be another few days, I'm going to guess. Yeah. Probably early next week we'll hit that one. I think the general public wants to know about this. Really, because it's just so many rumors flying around. Yep. Unsubstantiated comments about this is what this does. This is what this does. Well, if he hadn't been on his knee, it wouldn't affect. Yeah. What is the truth? What's the truth? And, you know, I guess I've always said this. Like people always say, what's the truth? And I was like, well, listen, in my case that we're trying right now, it's whatever comes out in court. <laughs> that's the truth. Ultimately. And th- is that factually true outside the courtroom? Maybe not. But that's the truth in this case. Yeah. You know, if somebody said it was 10 o'clock and everybody knows it was 9, well, in this case, forevermore, it's in the record. It was 10 o'clock. Yeah. That's just what it is. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, I don't know. I, I, I've i only heard, I've not read the coroner's reports about the alternate causes of death, like the true full-blown expert reports that you would get. So we'll see. But if it's true that he would have died anyway and was on his way to dying and they get over the second hurdle, I think, that maybe not legally imperative, but certainly imperative from a factual standpoint, that Chauvin, what Chauvin did would not have exacerbated that. Man, it's like that's, that's going to be dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Going to be dynamite. Mm-hmm. Ten years, guess. We'll see. I can't disagree with that. I think that's a fair, that's a, that's a real. From how you laid it out, makes sense. And that's why. Yep. That's why when Jared, we came in, I said I was going to cover this today. It's like I, I intentionally did not really dice and slice all the testimony and all the media coverage. I just I went to the complaint, and I wanted to think, how would I assess this if I'm, in the, if I'm trying? Like, where are the pitfalls of this, and what am I looking for? Knowing what, who has testified already, and, um, and what the, after reading this, what's the motive behind it, and what are people trying to prove? It's like, so far... Seems like the only thing, the only elements that we've proven is that are that Floyd is dead, and they've identified Chauvin. But I, we've not seen, you know, we haven't heard where the crime is yet. We'll see. They got to prove causation, and then they got to prove some degree of intent. Except for the manslaughter, they only have to prove that's the lowest. They only have to prove negligence. So that's the 
You know, Jared, he and, should do a daily update on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should. I should. I should sit. I just it'd be like watching it all just, day long. Yeah, just you know, just update it. You know, in the morning. Yeah, maybe I will. So maybe maybe tune it tomorrow. We'll do it. We'll do another little quickie. But uh, all right. Well, as always, here at LawyerTalkPodcast.com, you can submit your questions. We'll review them. We'll even cover them. If you want to be a guest because you got an awesome legal question and you think you can contribute, we'd be happy to talk about that too. Uh, if you want to do your own podcast. Guess what? We can do it. Channel511.com. We got Brett with Circle 270 Media, our podcast consultant. We got Jared working with the comedians on South High. If you have any question about how awesome our podcast product is, and this one has not convinced you yet, certainly the comedians on South High will put you over the goal line because that one is awesome. We've got some other folks who have uh, auditioned, so to speak, for their own podcast. Brett works with tons of businesses. So there's these businesses that everybody needs and wants a podcast for all sorts of reasons, not the least of which is Google social media uh, marketing juice. Um, guess what? It's a cool thing to do. Everybody's got one. You need one too. We can help. So look us up at channel511.com. Any questions, any thoughts, any comments about the Chauvin case, just keep them, I don't know, sort of civil. And I'll be happy to address them. So this is Lawyer Talk Off the Record on the air, at least until now. <laughs>